Welcome to another episode of Problem Busters. And of course, I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Jonathan. Good evening, sir. Good evening, sir. The very honourable Ollie. How are you? <laughs> I've never been introduced that way, but I quite like it. I'm good, mate. I'm good. We're watching the fading winter, and though the, the weather, I think, is better at where our guest is hailing from tonight. So let's get on to that. Introducing you all to Rick Veronese, who is a career and vocational coach, originally hails from Bristol, but now living somewhere a lot sunnier. Welcome, Rick. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, guys. And whereabouts are you living at the moment? I'm currently in Valencia, Spain. And that is very topical for a chap who talks to people about their careers and how, how they perhaps might like to get more work-life balance in, I suspect. <laughs> well, that, that was definitely part of, of the choice, you know, for, for us to move there. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Nice. So, welcome to the show. And generally what we do is start with a little bit about you in terms of where you're from and growing up. And then I guess that'll take us into the problem at hand. So, take it away. A little bit about Rick. All right. So, I'm originally from Italy. I don't know if you can tell from the accent. But, you know, most people don't realize, they can't, can't quite figure out where I'm from. I grew up in a small town in Italy, roughly about 3,000 population, so very small. And I studied a bit of everything. I studied tourism and hospitality for a while, and then eventually figured out that I didn't like any of it, or at least I only enjoyed one aspect, which was the traveling. And eventually that led me to move to the UK about seven years ago. I started in design when I moved to Bristol and initially as a freelancer, but then eventually moved into working for a company in the financial sector. And after seven years in Bristol, I decided that I want to change a little bit, especially last year with the pandemic. And now here I am, I'm doing something completely different and moved to a completely different place now in Spain. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Wow. So tell us, what is Bristol like? Because as a migrant to the UK myself, when I first got here and found myself in Brighton, turned that was a bit of a tech hub just down the road from London. Turned out that was a tech hub. But the other one that kept coming up in jobs particularly was Bristol. And I've only been once and thought it was a pretty cool place. What was it like as a, as a place to arrive into from Italy? I think it was beautiful. On the first day, I remember all the greenery around the scenery. It was just amazing. And I didn't expect it to be that beautiful, to be honest with you, because I just moved there out of Google search, you know? <laughs> so the choice was between Bristol or Manchester. And I obviously went for the greener option and it was great. The, the scenery, obviously, that was the first thing that stuck with me, but then the people also, I think it's a very friendly city. You can find a lot of diversity and that's what really struck me at first, you know, again, coming from a small town that made all the difference. It's just a really good place to be. Hmm. It's cool to hear, isn't it, Jonathan, when people arrive somewhere like the UK that probably doesn't have a reputation of being warm and cool and leafy and green and friendly, but to hear that people have that experience. Yeah, being a native, 
you do see like a lot of the representation of the UK in media of being just really grey and raining all the time <laughs> and just mostly being London uh, with sort of grey architecture, grey clothing, grey streets. <laughs> so it's really refreshing, yeah, to actually get that experience and have it laid out, you know, in that way. But yeah, no, it's uh, there's a lot of greenery here <laughs> for the listeners that aren't based in the UK. But yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah, and not everybody lives in London, right? <laughs> no, no, not everybody. And London isn't the only sort of tech hub and, and you know, innovative sort of city or, or town. I think those are the preconceptions that a lot of people have. But yeah. So, Rick, you said that you studied design and that you were sort of a designer by trade, you could say. Uh, what would have been the classic sort of career journey for a designer? That's an interesting question because I don't come from a traditional background, if you will. So I wouldn't know about traditional career path. For myself, it was mostly teaching myself design. So when I say that study design, it's really getting on Google and understanding the fundamentals of design. And I think the beauty of it is that I managed to do it, you know, just all by myself, uh, so to speak, obviously with lots of resources on the web from people that knew more about it than I did. But for me, it was finding something that could, uh, you know, that would allow me to pursue a creative career. So really, again, I happened to stumble upon design, if you will, just by searching for jobs that I could, I could be creative, creative with. So for me, I started off with uh, web design, uh, first and foremost. So it was a bit of creative work, working in Photoshop and Adobe Fireworks back then, and then eventually learning a little bit of coding, HTML, CSS, and all of those things. And then eventually moved into more of a design role as in not doing much of the coding anymore and just focusing on the visuals. And then eventually into, I moved into UX. So the path really went from web designer as a generalist, and then it went straight into being a more specialized generalist, if you will as a UX UI designer, and then from there continued to evolve into research and strategy. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how, what it looked like for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's quite interesting. I like the fact that it was sort of like you, the Google search <laughs> sort of inspires all. That's pretty cool. Was it sort of like, um, do you know, when you go onto platforms such as if you like YouTube and you search and you just get deeper and deeper and deeper into certain topics, was that a similar way in terms of sort of design? Like you'd learn one thing and be like, oh, this is really good. And then, oh, that leads into this and into that. Is that what you sort of experience when sort of finding your path towards UX? Yeah, in a way it was, uh, you know, going to the rabbit hole, if you will, just starting from the basics, but. At the beginning, it was literally reading through a blog post on jobs you can do from your computer, right? So that's the most basic that it could be. And then I realized, oh, this sounds pretty cool. So you can create websites, they didn't know about it. So I got into it. No one in my family did anything similar. So it was completely new to me. And then from there, I realized, oh, this is actually really interesting. So I started spending hours and hours and hours on end understanding how it worked and just experimenting really oh awesome it's fascinating awesome. isn't it yeah that is oh it's probably worth asking as well to be <laughs> for listeners that don't know would you be able to let us know what exactly ux is and why and the importance of it for sort of organization and websites 
Sure, I'll give you my definition of it, because if you ask uh, 10 or 100 uh, designers, they'll probably give you a different definition based on, on their perspective. But UX, it really is, stands for user experience. And that is within the context of products. Usually, from my perspective, it's digital products. I've always been in digital, but it could be for physical products as well. And it relates to the experience a user, the, the experience that the user has when interacting with the product. So whether it's a good one or a bad one, that determines what good UX or bad UX is. That makes sense. Yeah. And it didn't used to exist though, did it? When you first got into web design, I don't think people were talking about UX as a discipline. No, absolutely not. Yeah. It's interesting that you point that out. Yeah. It became more of a buzzword throughout the years, I think early in the last decade. So I got in about. I guess, yeah, it was 2015 when I got very interested in UX, but I was really doing some web design before then. So yeah, it wasn't like that. And if you ask any of the veterans out there, people that have way more experience than I have, there was no such thing as UX, but we've been doing it for 20 years or 30 years. Yeah. So what is the role of the designer in this modern context where you've got UX and you've got other design functions like user research that you mentioned, what is the function of the design team and particularly let's focus on digital organizations? Right. For me personally, what the designer needs to be able to design just to have some kind of understanding of design fundamentals, visual design, and the role of a designer, I see it as a connector of sorts, as someone that is able to see the whole picture. And is also obviously within the context of a digital product is able to see how the product would work for the user, for the end user. So always with the user end user in mind. And when I say connector, I mean that they need to be able to connect the needs of the user with the business objectives of the company. And if you want to go more in depth, then it will be about connecting different areas, different compartments, different departments, if you will, of the company to a finished product. So a designer would need to understand marketing. We need to understand research, of course, but we need to understand the business as well in a more general term, as well as the user, if that makes sense. Mm, it does. And if I could just make a, an observation of, over the last couple of years, it's almost embarrassing to say this as a product person. So close your ears, Jonathan. But what I find is that UX people come into the organization or into the team if they're coming from somewhere else in the business, and they'll start asking questions that are really obvious and questions that I know as a product person I should have been asking. And they'll then go and ask those same questions to the marketing team. And I see the marketing team saying things like, wow, I really love that template for user research. I'm going to adopt that for market research. And I realize no one's doing research, not like we should, unless we're a large organization and we can afford to do it. But let's face it, most tech businesses are growing, not, not established, right? And I find that fascinating. And when hiring for UX people, and I, I am at the moment, I love the fact that it's more about thinking about what people want, who those people are and what they need, than it is about what looks good. It's got more sociology and psychology than it does web design. Do you agree with that, Rick? Is that what you observe? 
Absolutely. Yeah. There's a psychological component to web design, but it's, you know, compared to, to product design and UX design, I think it's hardly touched on. Uh, when you get into UX, I think the opportunity is to explore the human psyche, if you will, and, and behavioral design and et cetera. It's much greater. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Cool. Now, I know that we haven't got onto the problem yet, so I guess it's probably time, right, Jonathan? Yep. <laughs> so, Rick, what's the problem you'd like to discuss? And let's kick it off. Right. So we're talking about career or design? Career, I think. Let's move on to that. Of course. The problem I see in general, if you want to stay within context of the times we're living in, I think is people realizing that life is short and they can go on spending this, they can go on spending it doing something they don't like. So the problem is people are not fulfilled enough. And if they are, if they have a job at the moment, they might be stagnant. They're not sure, they're not sure what to do next. So there's a lot of certainty and maybe there's a few problems that I pointed out there, but I hope that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like a fulfillment gap, right? I would say so. So question then. Coming from someone who, I don't know, my Gen X or Gen Y, I'm too old to remember which generation I am, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> but, but I remember that around the time that I was reading about generations, people would talk about these millennials and how they've been raised to think that they're unique snowflakes and that the world is their oyster and everything's on demand. And you just look at your phone and you get the info you want. You never have to wait. You are the most important customer, right? And that when they get into the market, they find that actually they have to work hard just like their parents did. And I've realized that that's, like many things, a bit of spin. And it seems like jobs are still jobs. But the question is, do you think that there is a fulfillment gap that's real? Or do you think people are expecting too much? As in, I want a job that I love and not settling for yeah. anything less. That's a great question. I think there's a bit of both, to be honest with you. It's, I do see what you're, what you're talking about with the entitlement that comes with you know, we can start from millennials if you want, and then go into Gen X, Gen Y, and all of the other letters of the alphabet. I do think, you know, there's a balance there between wanting everything and right now and doing something that, you know, being expected to do something that not really what you're meant to do. And I think the more we go on, the more we go into the future, and the more we realize that there are opportunities out there for everyone. So really the choices are limitless and it's possibly part of the reason why people are, are so unfulfilled because they can see what opportunities are, are out there and they're not doing what they want to do. You see what I mean? Hmm. So is that what led you to think I'm going to move into being a career coach to help people on that journey? Partly. Yeah. You know, it's not just the people that are necessarily unfulfilled, but also they are stressed out and burnt out because of that, or maybe in addition to it. So looking back my journey, you know, there's been a few times where between finding my place in design and actually doing it, you know, I worked different jobs. I had different career paths before then, and, and then we can go into that if you want, but. I realized whenever I wasn't doing something that was aligned with what I wanted to do, there was always some kind of unrest, if you will, that I wasn't enjoying it. And then eventually it would lead to a lot of stress that wasn't necessary, in my opinion. 
And I think that's what people need. More fulfillment means less stress and being happier. Then that's what I want to do for others. Yeah. That's a noble quest, right, Jonathan? <laughs> Very noble. Yeah. I think anything where you want to help others <laughs> based on your own personal experiences and tribulations. I say I used that word earlier, honorable endeavor, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Ollie. Were you about to? Uh... No, I was creating some space. Ah. I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I love that. So, Rick, if we think about career coaching and sort of leading people to find their own path, do you have a personal philosophy on that? Yes. And if I were to sum it up, I guess it would be that the person comes before the professional, right? So it's an approach that I think worked for me first and foremost, because obviously, you know, I would need to speak from personal experience. My career growth has always been a byproduct of my growth as a person. Whenever I focus too much on career, I would not get the results I wanted. And whenever I focused on, on myself in general, you know, just being a better person, just learning and being a better person in general, then career growth would happen. So that would be it for me, the person before the professional. In those growth periods, were there any sort of like epiphanies or like growth, like realizations that you had that sort of stimulate that growth? Of course. Well, the realizations really where the most painful ones is when I realized that for growth to happen, there needs to be a period of non-growth, right? So a period of stagnation or discomfort, if you will. So I guess, you know, the, the main lesson there was whenever, and it's pretty much like, you know, if there's any creative listening, it's pretty much the creative, like the creative process, right? So you go through a struggle where you don't know exactly what you're working on is going to turn out like, you know, you don't have no idea, but you know, that after the struggle, there will be some kind of epiphany eventually. And for me, it was realizing that stress is a necessary part of growth. I wonder if a year of being locked inside will lead to a few million epiphanies. <laughs> well, that's what I'm hoping. I, that's what I'm hoping. And I think it's also a big reason why I went into this path with career coaching, especially after the layoffs and people getting fired. I think that's, you know, many people are just there, not sure what to do next. And I realized that again, life is too short to be doing something that they didn't really enjoy. They just went to work and that was it. So I think so. And I hope so. And what are you hearing from people when you work with them in a coaching sense at the moment? Well, I'm hearing a lot of complaining, obviously, you know, that the situation is what it is at the moment, especially when it comes to people that have been laid off and lost their job. But I'm also hearing what they're fearful about, what they're anxious about, and mostly is not being sure of, of what they're doing, right? So for example, maybe they've been furloughed and they're not sure if what they were doing before is actually something that fulfills them right so we use fulfillment a lot in this case but it's really about being happy about what you do so they're anxious about bringing up work 
um, with with their family because uh, they maybe they, they come to that realization that they don't like it anymore. And they also feel guilty a little bit because, you know, maybe it pays well. Maybe it's, it's a, you know, they have good status. And, and how do you bring that up? How, how can you be that ungrateful to, to say you don't like what you do when, when you have, have it all on the surface? Um, you know, so they're worrying that they can, they can enjoy the life anymore and it's, it's just too late to change. But then there's a different, you know, there's so many different things to, to talk about here. We'll spend the next hour doing it. <laughs> I think it's just really topical, isn't it, Jonathan? Um, I'm definitely seeing people going through these discussions and, uh, and a much larger number of people, say, on LinkedIn, um, reaching out to me and saying, how do I do what you do? Or um, I do what you do, but I want to do something else. Do you think I can? Yeah, I think um, yeah, I, th I think lockdown has had a real effect on that because when you're surrounded by, <laughs> if most of your day, if you're if you're at home and most of your day is is work, you start to realize what are the joys and what what do you enjoy and what do you not enjoy. I think it's a <laughs> it's a real um, it's a um, accelerator, <laughs> let's say for for decisions. That's quite interesting. That's wonderfully put. That's very true. It's, it is an accelerator, mm. uh, you know, of realizations, if you will, because uh, maybe when you had a job at a company that you used to go to an office, then you would have the environment, you feed off it. Um, and even if you didn't like your, your daily tasks, you know, your daily job so much that you could have that. And just the fact of going out with, with, with your colleagues and, you know, have some friends at work even. Uh, would make it okay but right now it's just it's just not happening so you have zoom calls it's not the same thing that you know that that human connection is missing so um yeah i could definitely see why it would accelerate things on that regard precisely um what would you say are um were some of the mistakes that you made along the way on your on your particular path, um, and what would you what would you tell people <laughs> in terms of how you would navigate those mistakes and and how to deal with them? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think from um, well from from a career perspective, uh, I would say if you want to get into you know the technical side of things it would be uh, scrolling scrolling job boards hoping to find the right job for you uh, you know it's it's just it's just not a great great idea and i used to do this so obviously again uh, speaking from experience here um also not being picky enough with uh, with the jobs i applied to in the past but then you know, all of this comes to comes down to mindset. So I think um, the the mistake, the biggest mistake I made, and and then I realized that I had made it, was not focusing on on my mindset enough before I went into learning any of the technical stuff I learned uh, throughout the years. So taking care of my, of my mental mental health, um, of my mindset, of 
you know, of my perspective on life uh, would be the first thing I'd do if I could go back, which obviously I can't, but, you know, for anyone that, that is not, that's thinking about their next move and is at a place where they're not sure what to do, uh, what I say is uh, focus on focus on your vision, uh, which sounds a bit, you know, fluffy, but really it is about finding out what, you know, what, what do you see in the future? What, what are your dreams really? Cause we all do, right. Maybe we don't talk about it much, but we do all have dreams and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, playing in the, in the Premier league. If you're, if you're already, you know, uh, too advanced with the years or whatever it is. I guess I'll have to take that one off my list. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, you could probably do something related, but you know, I think it, it's good to stay somewhat realistic. And it's, it's also about having that expectation, you know, setting the expectations of what realistic mean, means. So, you know, maybe you can't become a superstar, uh, f- uh, football player. Maybe you, you know, right now you can't become the next big, big, big thing in Hollywood, but you can do something related and I think it will bring you a lot of happiness. Uh, you know, you can find a way, find your way in, in a way. So, uh, definitely, uh, focus on your vision and, and your values as a person, your roles in life, um, whatever those are and, and find something that fits within those, you know, just set your own standards and your own vision and then uh, take your actions based on that and not on anything else external, non societies rules, not what your parents said you should do. Uh, it's a, it's a really, um, introspective work that you need to do. And I, I think if I had done my due diligence in terms of introspection, then I would have gotten where I am today, where I'm happy about what I do much quicker. So that would be the, the main takeaway for me really. That, um, that, that makes a, well, do you know when people say, oh, that's quite obvious and it makes quite a, quite a bit of sense. Well, that is really, um, yeah, that's, that's a really good way of, of putting, uh, of putting that. Um, if we were thinking of people at home right now in their careers, um, what would you say was that initial spark for you? to take action or what you can you say what for those that um not necessarily looking for a spark but want to take action what is the one piece what is the one piece of advice that you would say all right this is what you know um you have your dream but you're in the job your day-to-day that you're not necessarily enjoying what is the piece of action that they could do to take charge and, and set themselves on that path okay uh that's that's a great question i mean it's hard for me to boil it down to one thing but uh i would say you know just what i said about about vision i think uh if you gave me two or three things then i could yeah yeah <laughs> put them together yeah no right? it, yeah it, yeah you could you could give as many as you like um okay. i think yeah <laughs> so you know for for the overworked professional out there uh, for the person that wants to quit uh, and change, or maybe for the person that 
has found themselves without a job, uh, but are looking to actually, you know, find some meaning in, in what they want to do is, uh, I think that the first step again would be to recalibrate their mindset uh, and th their belief system and, and their vision so that they can eliminate the stress and, and, and tap into uh, infinite motivation, if that makes sense. Like, you know, something that uh, even if you're not taking action, something that if you think about it will inspire you, right? And then after that, the, the next step would be to set some clear, clear, clear career goals. Then again, align with their purpose and their values and their roles in life. And th these all need to be defined. It's this is real work. You need to sit down and, you know, put pen to paper and ask yourself some questions. And then, and then, uh, you know, you get into the, the nitty gritty. So you need to create a strategy and a roadmap to, to achieve, to achieve those career goals that you set for yourself. And, and the main one really is to take action because we, we've been talking about mindset, vision, and, you know, roles and purpose, but really all of that means nothing if you don't take action. So you need to implement, uh, the steps that you laid out for yourself and stay accountable as you do so. Uh, and that that's the only way really to, to achieve uh, career fulfillment in my experience. So if we apply this to your um, example to make it real, because I don't know about you, Jonathan, but sometimes when I hear, hear words like mindset and values, I kind of feel like sitting down and watching Netflix instead. <laughs> I, I was uh, I was sold on a uh, infinite motivation for me that that those those two words is that is a uh, that's very <laughs> that's yeah, quite so, inspiring for so, me. So give, us, give us some examples of that then. So if we take Jonathan, a young dad, two amazing kids, wants to do the right thing by um, by wife and kids and family, would that be a source of inspiration that you're talking about in terms of you know I'm going to do the right thing for my family? Is that is that what you're is that of an example? course, absolutely. So contribution is, uh, it's probably one of the main drivers, uh, for people, right? So when you th only think about yourself, um, you, it's really hard to set a vision just for yourself. It always involves someone you love, someone you care for. So of course that, that would be infinite motivation just, you know, just by itself. But you need to uh, articulate that. You just can't think about, okay, I'm gonna, I'm doing this for my family. You need to know why exactly you're doing it for, for your family and um, what kind of vision you have going forward. So if we are to talk about the mindset and the vision side of things, you need to, you know, set set some kind of deadline, if you will, right? Say, okay, where where do we want to be in ten years' time? And that's what most people. You know, I think, uh, ignore because they just think, okay, well, well, I'm doing this, this year and then next year I'll do that. But then you go 10 years down the line and you don't realize how much bigger things can be if you, if you set your mind to it. So infinite motivation for me, yeah, would be family. It would be anything that you really value as a person in terms of, um, what brings you joy. So, uh, family is something. For some, could be a, a level of, of financial security because that's that's always part of the conversation, obviously. 
So um, what is financial security? Let's just touch on that for a moment, because I think that's also something that gets thrown around. Um, but it seems a little bit like Dave and the family who tells you about it at a barbecue outside of lockdown. And you think, wow, Dave's got it made. And you try not to think about it again, right? Um, so what was the question? What's financial security? Well, everyone will have their own definition, but for me personally, it's, it's not worrying about money. As uh, simple as that. So not worrying about paying bills at the end of the month. Uh, not worrying about going on a holiday if you want to, because you, you have the opportunity, you have the, you know, the, the means to do it. Um, so I guess that we need to draw a point, a, a line between financial security and financial independence, uh, which is, you know, financial security is really having enough money to cover your expenses. And that's, that's about it. And it's, it's good. Okay, so you need it, obviously. It's like food, right? But uh, at the same time, it's not the most fulfilling thing. So when you get past that uh, base, baseline, right? Uh, that unfortunately, many people don't have, but fortunately, most people have, especially in our Western society. Um, you, you're looking for something more. So financial independence, then it's, it's something that allows you to get to a point where you don't really have to work anymore uh, you can just you have your expenses covered year on year um, as a result of your financial choices which usually involve uh, making more money managing your money so saving and uh, personal finance etc and investing your money so get a return on your capital did that answer it for you yeah it did it did and I guess I'm probably like a lot of people. I grew up with parents who had jobs that they had for a long time, right? Like my dad, um, bless him, 28 years. And, uh, and it was a time in New Zealand when a lot of companies were going through Thatcher um, as, a, as a time period and a mindset, um, speaking of mindsets. And so his team was downsized from something like 16 people down to one, and he was the one that was left because he worked hard and probably was really good at what he did, right? So that was my model. I thought, what do I have to do to get a job so that I can just, it'll be good enough and I'll just keep working hard and then I'll be okay. And I, that's kind of what's always been in the back of my mind, you know, that I just need to do enough to be okay. And then I've realized over time that for me, it's definitely a feeling of safety and, and wanting to know that I'm safe, right? But that wasn't, I didn't have any financial education. And what I mean by that is over the years, I've been lucky enough to work in companies that work in, in fintech. And fintech includes a lot of people that know about finance and about accounting. And, and I'd hear them talk about things like, you should pay into your pension, not just what the government makes you do, but you should put a bit more in. And I was like, why would I do that? It's, it's less money for the weekend, right? Um, but it is crazy when I started to look into it how little extra I needed to do in order to save up a reasonable amount. It just makes me realize how important ideas to be added to the mindset, such as save today, tomorrow is slightly better. That's a great one. We don't get enough of that if you think about it in schools, for example. So it's not part of our education. So if it's not our parents, then the school system doesn't support for that kind of personal finance education. And I think it's really important. I grew up in a similar environment. So if 
finances was something that I had to learn for myself. And it just can't stress how important it is for us right now, but also for our children to learn more about it so they can live a life that's just not struggling with debt or to pay whatever comes up as an emergency. Because there are ways to make it happen, but we're not really, it's just, it seems like it's a secret and it's not for open for the masses, but it actually is. It's nothing, it's not rocket science. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it really feels like it's not rocket science and everybody should have these life skills, right? Save part of what you earn. Now, I don't want to dwell on this too much, and I know I've taken it into us into it because I'm passionate about people looking after themselves financially. So we're going to have a topic on this in the future, right, and have you back on the show. But, but just for now, since we're talking about it, if people could pick up one or two concepts that they could start to think about that would help them begin to take control of their finances, what would those couple of things be? I would say look at your expenses, figure that out first. So it, this is painful. I'm not saying this is easy, but it's quite simple on paper. But the, what changed everything for me was looking at my expenses and see where my money was going. And obviously it's like, it's holding up a mirror, right? So it's, it's your financial mirror. You can see where your money goes and, and you understand where you can save a little, save a little bit more. And then really it's about saving money for me at first and trying to understand how finances work really. So in the most simple terms, the beginning of the month and money out at the end of the month and just do your math, really understand if you can improve your situation. So what you can do is just read books, ask, uh, potentially, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, you know, go to a bank necessarily because they don't always have your best interest <laughs> at heart, but lesson just, number one, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So just get educated on how f- personal finance works and the fundamentals really is money in and money out and see what's coming in and see what's going out and try to optimize that as much as you can. Thank you. Thank you. So if we take this back to the, the career coaching topic now, I guess when people are realizing that they need to make a change, either because they need to make a change or because they've been furloughed or laid off, it's going to help a lot to have a little bit of money to survive on while making that change. Is that right? Yes. An intelligent choice to make, whether you're looking to you know go self-employed or just any big change in life usually comes with a with uncertainty. And if you can have from a mindset perspective, you know, from a mental health perspective, if you can have some certainty when it comes to your finances, because, you know, it's, it's easy to get down a spiral there of negative thoughts, feelings, if you can have that certainty, so some savings, then it's great. That's definitely the first thing I would look at. Sorry, Jonathan, I get carried away because I'm so passionate about this. I'm sure you've got some things you want to ask. No, No, I think I come from a similar background as yourself, Wally. So I think a lot of the answers and the perspective are pretty similar to yours. So a lot of my my questions were answered. That's why I let you roll on with the the prodding and poking for, (laughs) for answers. But 
yeah no super important super important but if i may <laughs> if i may move us over to the sharing section is that all right ollie and rick absolutely awesome awesome so this is the section where we typically ask our guests a bit more about their books and films and projects and stuff like that they enjoy and uh, would like to share with the rest of us so talking about the infinite motivation and and steps to get your life on track it sounds pretty similar or pretty close to i think jordan peterson a lot of the stuff that he talks about you've reviewed the book uh, 12 rules for life do you mind just giving us your takeaways from that uh, what you enjoyed and, and what you would like to share of course yeah that's uh, that was a while back and the book i think probably three or four years old but as soon as i read it and i also listened to it on audible it stuck with me just because it sounded like something that that came from one of the classics from a hundred years ago or even older right because of what it talks about and the book dives deep into human interaction what consequences our actions more in general is just i guess it's the ultimate self-help book but there's also some some kind of science to back it up. So that's what really uh, drove me to it because I, I quite, you know, I'm that person that needs that backup, right? That scientific backup. I understand it's not available for everything. So you have to kind of have a balance there. But when there is, then I'm, I'm a sucker for it. So in terms of, of the takeaways, yeah, as you said, I wrote an article reviewing it, the book. First and foremost, it was to relate it to my field of competence, right? So what I did was taking the book, so it's called 12 rules for life. And I condensed it to six, cause then it will become a too much, too long of a review. I just tried to relate it to the design field at the time. So there's six rules that I mentioned and to quickly touch on them where, uh, you know, I just paraphrased basically some of the rules, but one of the rules was you're a badass portray an image of competence it's all about you know carrying yourself like an expert and not as much as faking it till you make it but more like you know it's just the way you act really so the way you portray the way you interact with others so that was one of the main rules for me and then Again, my philosophy comes, a lot of it comes from part of this book also in terms of taking care of yourself before thinking about others. And I think it's the ultimate thing to do. So we go back to career coaching, take care of the person instead of the professional as a priority. And then there's a few other points. If you want, we can touch on those. Yeah, I mean, I can see the relationship, which is, I can see the relationship because we've got the piece of the mindset right then you know taking care of, of yourself so you can obviously help others as well could you touch on the accountability of course so what would you like to know so how would people find themselves how would you take accountability for your actions in terms of career right what would be one of the actions you take to say okay what am i accountable for when i am sort of creating this plan you mentioned sort of the job boards and going through them I don't know if <laughs> maybe I'm just loosely relating them, but is there anything you can sort of elaborate on? Sure. Yeah. So in terms of accountability, I think, well, obviously third party will come in and hold you accountable. Obviously as a coach, it will be my job, but you can totally do it 
with friends and family. And the risk with that is sometimes people are just, they're nice to you, right? So if family member or a friend, you ask them to hold you accountable, they'll do it for a little bit. But then when you, when you slip, then they will really hold you accountable. There's not really a name built in risk of, you know, for not taking action. There's no investment on your side to lose. So I guess you can do that and you can have an accountability group, but you need to make sure that the people you are with are a hundred percent on board with your mission. So it's usually easier to do that within groups, say, for example, with people that share your goals. And that's the good way to keep the accountability going because environment is such a strong motivator for the best and for the worst. So when you're looking to achieve something and you're looking to implement steps and taking action, you want someone that will hold you accountable and ask you about it constantly. You know, it's not just about, okay, you set some goals and then once a month or every quarter, someone will check in, check in with you. It's got to be hands-on. At least that's the approach I like to, to have. But just find someone, just find an environment that will drive you to take action and then make sure people will hold you accountable. I had an example of this, actually, when the business I was working for had a redundancy round and a bunch of us, a whole team really, found ourselves looking for work unexpectedly. And some of the folks in that group are in really highly skilled areas that literally meant they had never physically gone out and proactively looked for work before since finishing their degrees, which is just amazing to me. But but what we what we did is people were milling around, you know, and we can help each other. Why don't we just meet at my place? And we just do it a couple of times a week. We called it Job Club, and it was just people sat around on laptops getting their CVs ready. Some of them didn't even have a CV. And I get the feeling that that was happening, Rick, in the sense that the first day it was a little, some people were a bit slack, a few of them forgot their laptop. The second day, say a few days later, everybody had a laptop. Most of the people had a resume, some of them didn't, but by the end of the week, everybody did. And I feel a bit like maybe that was happening, that that people could see others around them taking action and that kind of carried them along with the tide, you know? Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. So there's power and, uh, you know, the power of the group, if you're working towards something, you know, you look at sports teams, that's something in there. Your teammates will hold you accountable if you don't train, if you don't perform very well. So that many sides of that, I think, could be taken into, say, for example, looking for a job, right? So finding an environment that will push you to, again, to take action and staying accountable, it's of utmost importance, I think. I guess that's one thing, right, about this current situation in the world is that a lot of people are in it together and they've spent a year at home perhaps working on something they don't like, perhaps something that was okay when they were able to get on a train and go and get a sandwich at lunchtime and all that sort of stuff, and now they're realizing they need to change. So band together, people. You heard it here. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free to get us back on track, Jonathan. (laughs) I'll be the topic marshal. <laughs> onto the, well, back onto the sharing. Is there, are there any sort of projects or movements going on in the world at the moment that's got you excited right now, Rick? Well, there's one in particular that I'm interested in. And, you know, if you go back and touch on the financial side of things, 
And as soon as you mentioned movement, it, you made me think about the fire movement. And it's, it's nothing to do with actual fire. It's an acronym for financial independence, retire early. And, you know, there's a big community of people out there working on their personal finances, but also, you know, being really focused on enjoying life, really, that are working towards this common objective that is financial independence. And I think we'll see more of it in the years because we have the means nowadays to do it with investments and personal finance again and making money. When we talked about earlier about financial security and the difference between financial security and financial independence, I think we'll see more people going into having this mentality and approaching this framework for financial independence that will lead to more people potentially having, you know, doing something that they love, whether it's right now or in the future, we'll see more people retire early than usual. So not in their sixties anymore, it's going to be more in their fifties. Some people are retiring their forties. I know some people, not personally, but I have a few examples of people that I have already retired at 30 years old, for example. So it's not about not working anymore. It's actually having that financial security and financial independence to go and do something that you actually enjoy. And that opens so many opportunities, so many possibilities for people to actually make an impact in the societies. You know, you can do it for your job, for your day job and through your career, that contribution that we talked about earlier. But imagine if you didn't have to work another day in your life and you have all the financial means that you desired, what, what would you do, right? You know, would you go into philanthropy or what kind of causes would you contribute to? So to your question, what inspires me is this movement, the fire movement. And I think it's really important. I think we're going to see more of it in the future. And I hope we are going to see more of it also in our schools when it comes to financial education and enjoying life really. So it's, I guess what the term I'm looking for is wealth, how to be wealthy, which is definitely not just about money. Yeah. That's powerful stuff. Um, we will definitely we, have you back on to talk about yeah, that. Yes, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I impact quite a lot there, so I apologize if it's, if it's too much, but yeah, I no, get excited a, too. So It's a good nice. taste, right? And I reckon the world would be a better place if more people were didn't need to work but went out and did the things that they thought needed doing. Exactly. Exactly. So what about tech? What tech is imp improving your life right now, Rick? That's a good question. So I'm on the road at the moment, obviously in terms of working remotely, my laptop and my phone, which I have love and hate relationship with are definitely helpful in terms of all the tech. What I like as probably could have guessed by now is I'm quite holistic, you know, in terms of how I see life. So I like to exercise. I like to do different things. My fitness tracker helping me out in that sense. So just making sure I hit my daily steps and keep moving that I don't sit too much uh, during the day. And, and what's your, is it a Fitbit or is it something else? Well, it's similar. It's a Huawei tracker. It's nothing too fancy. I just need something that tells me how much calories I'm, how many calories I'm burning and 
uh, whenever I, I do exercise and uh, how many steps I'm taking. So, but I'm looking to upgrade because I'm quite quite the geek when it comes to tech, right? So I'm looking to get me uh, an aura ring. I don't know if you heard about it before. No, no, tell a, us. It's a sleep tracker. It's a ring you put on and it will give you all kinds of stats around your sleep, the quality of your sleep, how much time you spend in, in REM sleep versus light sleep or, or whatever. And apparently it's very helpful, you know, to keep track obviously of your sleep, but since sleep is very important, it will tell you what the ideal time for you is to, to go to bed, for example, or to wake up. So they'll work with your, with your physiology and, and your biology. So yeah, I, I could talk about this for hours, to be honest. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. This is something I've started to think about because I don't commute right anymore, or at least right now. That I, some people will say things like, oh, I love working from home. I love the fact that I can roll out of bed five minutes before I start work. I don't do that. And, and I'm experimenting with different times to get up and how much space I need between opening eyes and opening a laptop. Yeah. But it, it's quite, it'd be quite interesting to look at that flexibility that I have, that additional flexibility, and say, well, 10.30 is better than 11 p.m. to go to bed, right? Yeah. Or, or in your case, Jonathan, because I imagine you get up quite early, <laughs> maybe even earlier, right? Yes, yeah, I have a natural alarm. He comes in the form of a three-year-old. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. But I have a Garmin myself, and it does tell me when to move and when to jump up and down. But the lack of commute is a real tough one. Do you exercise indoors at home or do you go out for a walk? <laughs> you have the choice, right? So it's, it's, uh, it's also just trying to find that motiva motivation, which, uh, again, taps into that whole mindset piece. So, Rick... What would you like to change in the world? If there was one thing you'd like to change, what would you change? Wow, that's a big one. What would I like to change? Well, to be true to what I've been talking about, for me personally, I would like to see well more people fulfilled, but more than anything, as a result, as a byproduct of more fulfilled people, I would like to see a society that that works that actually works and i'm not saying it doesn't right now but we can see you know we've seen many and many things not to be proud of during the last year or so and i would like to you know i would like for people to have more time on their hands so they can contribute to something greater than themselves we go back to tapping into that vision for me personally it's contributing to something and it's not necessarily one cause at the moment. I still have to figure that out. So I'm doing my bit, but I think just more in general, I would like to see more empathy around. I would like to, I would like for people to be more open with each other. And I'm not sure I'm a fan of the word nicer to each other, but what I mean is it being more, more empathetic towards each other and more understanding and that that would be a big one. That's just such a nice way to end a show, isn't it, Jonathan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how can people find out more about you, sir? I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So we'll put a actually... link to that. Pardon? 
and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you very much. So LinkedIn would be, would be the main one because I'm posting there daily, pretty much daily, sometimes on weekends too. So yeah, LinkedIn is definitely the, the big one right now. Okay. And, and in terms of what you'd like to promote, how would you share what you could do to, to help people in a, in a vocational coaching sense? Right. So I have, I have a program going right now, which is called the fire career. And we touch on everything we talked about and more today. So things like mindset, recalibration, career goals, career mapping, taking action, obviously that's the big one. And then this is a bit of a bonus I'm working on, which is a growth mapping that every quarter I would have an extra hour accountability call to follow up with my clients, uh, follow up on them progress and make sure that the right adjustments are made to their strategy and so they can reach uh, their career fulfillment even faster. And this is for people who are overworked, who, um, who are not happy about what they do or simply are looking to grow in their own career. So just want to see people grow, man. So that's, uh, that's really what I'm working on. And that's, uh, that, that would be something I'd like people to check out and, and talk awesome. to me about. Awesome. And that comes through in, in the, the tips that you share. So highly recommend that, that folks tune in and, and follow you on LinkedIn and, and thank you for the work that you do. I think there's. There's a lot of questions in a lot of people's minds and together we grow, right? That's correct. Yes. I love that. Is there anything more from you, Mr. Jonathan? No, I think, I think this, <laughs> I think that's it for this episode of, uh, of Problem Busters. I really want to thank Rick again for sharing his insight and we'll definitely have him back to talk about fire and, and, uh, and finances is <laughs> going to be a really interesting discussion. That's, thank thanks. you so much, guys. I appreciate you. And thanks for the questions. Really interesting. I hope people got some value out of it. And it was, yeah, it was great to be with you. And thanks awesome. for being on the show. So don't forget to subscribe, yes. folks. And we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.